0: Hey, everyone. I just want to have this little announcement before the episode to let you know that this is probably our last episode of 2023. Yeah. So happy holidays and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, because we're going to be taking a little bit of a break, you know, for the holidays ourselves, you know, take some time off. Yeah. Enjoy ourselves.
1: <laughs> we're in Australia, so we're going to enjoy the summer heat.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: but to those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, enjoy the winter snow.
0: <laughs> kind of missing the white Christmas, you know? I
1: know. that It is sad. Uh, send us pictures of snow.
0: <laughs> we'll get sunburned and then...
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully not as bad as last year.
0: <laughs> but either way, we just wanted to let you guys know to, that this is probably going to be the last episode for this year Thank you so much, so, so much for everyone who has uh, tuned in and listened to us. Maybe you're hearing this two, three years in the future. And thank you so much for listening to us now and catching up. But uh, we're looking forward to putting out more of the books and finishing up Mad Ship next year and starting on Ship of Destiny.
1: I know, I can't believe we're almost to the end of this trilogy. That's crazy.
0: We're a little bit over halfway, I would say. Still a long way to go. We got Definitely. a lot of part two chapters in this book so far. <laughs> there's
1: just so much that happens. in this. Yeah. It's because there's so many perspectives. It's so hard. But thank you all for listening anyway and yes. enjoying them from what you tell us.
0: <laughs> all right. Without further ado, we'll get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 22, A Change of Heart. And we're starting off in Wintro's head.
1: Yeah, back to Wintro.
0: Yeah, but it's been a, bu- a month now. And Vivacia has been stewing on Kenneth's lack of attention
1: for yes. a long time. Things have changed. So I think last time we saw Wintro and Kenneth and Vivacia, Kenneth had realized that he could manipulate Wintro. By playing on his feelings for Etta. And also that Vivacia was clearly jealous and he could use that to his advantage. And right. it looks like he has really gone in on that plan.
0: Yeah. And the first line is Vivacia was seething. So Intro can tell that she's just getting angrier and angrier. And she not only would not allow herself to be calmed, she actively repelled any attempts to soothe her. Yeah. Nearly a month gone now. So she's just working herself up into a frenzy. Kenneth is, you know, treating her civilly and not ignoring her, but not including her in anything either.
1: Right. And he's now taking trips to the Marietta with Etta yep. to discuss all the things that he used to discuss with Vivacia.
0: Mm-hmm. And he would go over there after they would, uh, they've, what, captured two or three uh, more merchants. Three. Three more merchants in this time so far, and all the spoils in the party would go over to Marietta first, and then they would come back late at night and immediately go to the cabin.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Wintro thinks that's just to make Vivacia jealous again.
1: It also... There's also a line here where Wintro states that Vivacia was reaching out towards Kennet so strongly that she had left Wintro behind and alone. So in this... Jealousy that Vivacia is feeling and this mood that she's in she has left Wintro behind. Wintro is really feeling left out. I think yeah. this is the first time that we have Wintro maybe not the first time, but the first time there's no comforting from Vivacia, where Wintro feels lonely and alone, and like Vivacia is abandoning him, and she is not trying to soothe him or make him feel like that's not true.
0: Right. Yeah. Every time Wintro tried to dissuade her, she became more stubborn and more troubling was that she grew more remote from him every day.
1: I, I find it really interesting that this dynamic is happening where we have Vivatia reaching so hard for Kenneth that she is neglecting her bond with Wintro. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I I really do find it interesting because at the beginning of Wintro and Vivacia meeting, I don't think Wintro was ever this mean in the connection to Vivacia as she's being to him now. And to be yeah. fair, mostly because there wasn't another person for him to bond with instead. True. But I guess Saw, you could argue, he was reaching more for his <laughs> relationship with Saw. But I do feel really bad for Wintro because I think even when... Even when he didn't know for sure if Vivacia was a good being and was complaining about not wanting to be there, he still had a bond with her. He just didn't want to give all of his self to her. It wasn't that right. he was pulling away from the bond necessarily. And so I just feel really bad that he's left here all alone and still being super influenced by her moods. Oh, which yeah. I do wonder if part of that is because of how much he is reaching out towards her.
0: True, it could be. He's reaching out after, trying to pull her back. He goes on to explain that Kenneth is no longer courting Vivatia. Again, like I mentioned, not ignoring her at all and is very courteous, but no longer directing all of his attention to her and instead Kenneth is directing his attention to Etta and Etta is blossoming under that light. Right. And even though nothing outward has really changed in Etta, she and her actions just fill the whole ship with more life and energy than before.
1: Yeah. He also talks about how he feels like she's more womanly and he can't really describe what he means by that, but there are, a couple other women who were allowed to stay on the ship who also work that were part of the slave group that was rec- rescued, but compared to Edda, she just is more of a woman.
0: Yeah, and he, he explains that she hasn't dressed any differently, her tongue is still super sharp, she still is working on deck, and nothing really has changed, but... When she looks at Kennet, even across the deck, the life in her seemed to multiply. Captain Kennet, for his part, seemed to revel in her glory. He could not pass her without touching her. Even Bluff Sorkor near-blushed at the sight of them together on the deck. Wintrow could only watch them in amazement and envy. To his chagrin, every time Kennet caught him looking at them, he would raise his eyebrow at him, or wink. He also mentions that the entire crew... Seems to take pride in Kenneth's actions towards Edda as well. And right. the whole morale of the ship is doubling, tripling. It's out of control. It's so well run now. And the new additions from the former and freed slaves are integrating seamlessly because everyone is such is in such high humors.
1: Yeah, and Winchell does point out that he was pretty surprised at this development because he assumed that there would be some sort of jealousy of the people of how...
0: If he was flaunting his lady.
1: Yeah. and yeah. just thought like Etta was getting kind of special treatment. And so why wouldn't people be jealous about that? And instead it makes them super proud of their captain and, and his lady.
0: Yeah. As and, if his virility and his possession of this desirable woman did credit to them all.
1: So it's kind of crazy. And I think it also goes back to Kenneth's luck a little bit. Because... Kenneth decided to pursue Edda in this way because he wants to rile up Wintro right,
0: and it twofold it worked because he he initially started doing it because of Ivacia, right right, but it seemed to work and fit into his plan new plan with Wintro
1: mm-hmm so it's really interesting to know that his main goal for this is to get Wintro to do what he wants and to get Vivatia to care more and reach out more for him, both of which are happening. However, the unintended consequences are also hugely in his favor.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, Wintra says here, any discontent the freed slaves had felt had evaporated. Why clamor to possess a ship when one could be part of Kenneth's crew? And that's it, you know, that's, yeah. that was the major grievance that they still had that saw Adar kind of led them. Right. And that's what they were still thinking. Like, oh, you always give the ship to the freed slaves. Exactly. So this is ours. But that's going away.
1: Right. Because it's such a good environment and mm-hmm. it's so well run. And Windrow himself even says the ship has not been run better since he's been on it. Like mm-hmm. it's truly doing wonders and if it's not for the fact that if something feels off about the whole thing, it would be a perfect place to work. Like, it's a really good ship and it's really well run.
0: It's uh, It kind of parallels what Efren Vestrit says to Althea in the beginning of the books of how to dress when you're on shore, right? Mm-hmm. You want to leave a good impression. You want to look good in front of your crew and uphold your reputation of the ship. Mm -hmm. And then everything runs better around you. And I think that's just kind of echoing here with the whole crew's esteem of Kenneth rising, like, oh, he's looking so good. He has this wonderful woman at his side. We're going to be the best that we can to live up to his standard.
1: Right. No, definitely. There is a lot of that happening. And weirdly, Wintro isn't falling for it. He knows that there's an undercurrent of something happening. He, I don't think has enough life experience to pinpoint what exactly it is that's going on, but he, he feels like something is off. He feels like Kenneth is playing a game and this isn't just Kenneth loves Etta so much. And there's this benevolence and I can't tell if this, is because Wintro is just so astute. Like he just really is seeing to the heart of the matter. He can see through Kenneth's d- uh, disguise or if it's jealousy that happens to be right.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it's that. And I think he's still like, because it's not a direct accusation against Kenneth, it might just be like a little undertone in some of his passages. Because right. if you just read it on the surface, it seems like, He's buying into everything, right? So there might be a little undertone of, you know, there's weird things going on. And he doesn't fully trust Kenneth in general. But right. every time he mentions Kenneth and Etta together, he seems to come off like it's genuine. At least in my reading of it. So maybe there is, there is, like I mentioned, that undertone of Wintro not buying into everything Kenneth's doing. Right. And that might bleed into this as well. But for for my reading, I think I think that Wintrow thinks the relationship is genuine.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think I think he does as well. But I think he understands that it's being played up for vivacia.
0: Mm. Okay. So, like, oh yeah, like his his mention of yeah. you know them going back to the cabin to celebrate and not even is talking for vivacia's it. benefit or yeah. like vivacious manipulation but Wintra won't mention that to her
1: yes yeah so like I, I think he doesn't understand that Kenneth doesn't have any feelings towards Etta I think he fully buys into that being a real relationship but I also think he understands that some part of it is fake that this isn't this is being done as a show for a reason but he doesn't necessarily think their relationship is fake
0: Right. Woodrow goes into what has been happening over the past month, as we mentioned before. They have had three more piracy, you know, ordeals, and they were small cargo sh- ships, not slavers. And it's kind of the same pattern. The Marietta would chase them, and then Vivacia would come and run up on the, uh, the rocks, and then Marietta would fight and take over the rest. To give Kennett credit, he did not slaughter their crews, there was little bloodshed, for once the ships were grounded, resistance flagged. Kennet did not even hold them for ransom. He simply took the cream of their cargo and let them go with a stern warning to spread the word that Kennet of the Pirate Isles would not tolerate slavers passing through his waters. He did not name himself as king, not yet. All three ships had managed to limp away from their encounters with him. The word would spread swiftly. Vivesha had both sulked and chafed at being held back from the action. Like a child dismissed from adult conversation, she was no longer invited to discuss piracy or politics with Kennet. So that's kind of the heart of the matter there.
1: Yeah. I think that paragraph, though, is a really good example of what I mean, where on the surface, Wintrow agrees with what's being done of like, oh, he's not killing anybody. He's letting people go. Mm But
0: But the phrasing to give Kenneth credit implies that he's starting in like a deficit.
1: Mm -hmm. And then also to say he's not naming himself as king, but it's clear that that's the implication.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Like he's
1: going he wants people to think of that of him, which I think shows that Wintro is seeing past whatever this is that Kenneth is playing at, but not in a way are not enough to really see what's going on. Right. Like yeah. he can just tell some things off. And I don't know how.
0: We've had enough passages where, like, he's been enamored by some of the actions that Kenneth has done, right? Yeah. And amazed by some of the things that have happened, but also, and, and amazed at the loyalty that he can command. Yeah. But he started off with bad impressions of Kenneth because he's That's a pirate, it. right?
1: Yeah. And I guess if you agree or if you're happy with the outcome of what Kenneth's doing, there's no real reason to think further on it. And so I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if maybe Kenneth isn't as subtle if he thinks he is. It's just that he's surrounded by people that like him so much that it doesn't (laughs) matter. Like they're all pirates and pirates aren't always super forthcoming and themselves, you know, like there is an act to be played when you're a pirate. And so I wonder if he's like, oh, I fooled all these people to thinking this. And he has fooled everyone to a degree, right? Like people don't understand he is incapable of feeling any sort of sympathy to anyone. But I don't know if it's just Wintro is like amazing at seeing through and like being able to see the chess game, the chess pieces being moved. I don't
0: know. I think it's just that his natural disposition against kind of started off very, you know, suspicious. Right. That's fair. That's fair. So I don't know. And he was very blase about taking lives and yeah. killing people. And, and Winthrop was very hard So yeah. Wintrow also explains that in between these piracies, the, the crew, the life aboard it, uh, with the crew was very indolent. You know, they're, There's basically nothing to do, so they were having, you know, great feasts and gaming and music. And Kennet included Wintrow in these pursuits, often summoning him to his cabin. Not for Kenneth, simple games of dice or cards. He challenged Wintrow to games of strategy, not chance. Wintrow had the uneasy feeling that the pirate was evaluating him. Often before the long afternoons were over, the game would lie forgotten between them while Kennet quizzed him on the philosophy of Saw. They also got a large store of books from one of the raids, and so they would have discussions about philosophy from those books, and sometimes Etta would sit in on those conversations as well, and Wintro can tell from their conversations and that she has a... Lively intelligence, which was at least the match of Kenneth's, though less schooled. She kept up well with both of them as long as they were speaking in generalities. It was only when they discussed the views of particular philosophers that she would grow first taciturn and then withdrawn. One afternoon, when Wintro deliberately made an effort to include her, he stumbled onto her deficiency. And find out that she cannot read. Right. So, yeah, they're discussing strategy, kind of is evaluating Wintro.
1: Yeah, and Wintro's doing pretty well, I think. As far as we can tell. I mean, yeah, as far as he understands. But I think Wintro, that is kind of his strong suit, is philosophy and working through things. We know when he was last at the temple, uh, he was helping Bernadal work through some of the philosophies of the teachings of Saw that were well above what he was Mm -hmm. at.
0: Or at least in the six months that Bernadal had been working on them, Wintro got to the same conclusion as him in 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. So
1: I think he is a really deep thinker. I think he is, that's something that he's good at. And I would love to know.
0: What philosophy? yeah, Yeah, like
1: what the philosophy is like in this world and like who the philosophers are, what do they think? But I think it's really interesting that Kenneth is allowing Etta to be involved in this.
0: Yeah. I mean, he wants his people to be educated, though, right? And also, specifically Etta, because he has claimed Etta as his, right?
1: But he doesn't want, he doesn't like when people get too smart.
0: Sure, sure. But he also knows everything's about reputation and. I think he realizes a lot of people look up to Etta as well. And it's like as an extension of him. Mm. So she has to play the part well. And the most important part is that he wants her close to Wintrow. Right. And so she'll be included wherever Wintrow is. I was Wintrow thinking is. that
1: was more of it. It was nothing to do with he wants her to learn for even for a shallow reason, like making yeah, him look better. Maybe. I figured it was more like obviously she needs to be around to hang out with Wintrow more, but oh.
0: She is very upset at her own deficiencies of not being able to read and Rage. is angry at the suggestion and stalks out or starts to stalk out. But Kenneth's voice stops her. Etta, come back here. For the first time since she had, since he had met her, Wintrow saw a flash of defiance in her eyes as she looked at Kenneth. Why, she challenged him, so I can see all the more clearly how ignorant I am. Spasm of anger passed over Kenneth's face. Winter watched him smooth his features, then hold his hand out to the woman. Because I wish you to, he said almost gently. She came back to him, but gazed at the book he picked up as if it were a hated rival. He held it out to her. You should read this. I can't. I wish you to. She clenched her teeth. I don't know how. I never had lessons or teachers. Not unless you count the men who taught me my trade before I was even a woman. I'm not like you, Kenneth. I- Quiet, he barked at her. Again, he held out the book to her. Take this. It was in order. She takes it, and then Kenneth shifts his attention to Wintrow. Wintrow, you will teach- Wintrow will teach you to read it. Barring that, he will read it to you. He glanced back at Etta. He will have no other tasks aboard ship until he has completed this one. I don't care how long it takes. The crew will laugh at me, Etta protested. Kennett narrowed his eyes. Not for long. It's difficult to laugh when one's tongue cut out. He took a breath, then smiled. And if you wish to use these, keep these lessons private, so be it. You may use these chambers. I will see that you have sufficient time alone and undisturbed to complete this task. And he uh, draws her close in a hug and says, Don't be stubborn. I wish you to enjoy this. He shot Wintrow a peculiar, flickering glance. It was almost as if he wished to be sure he was watching them. I hope it will bring great pleasure and learning to both of you. Etta closed her eyes to his touch, but Kenneth's eyes were wide open and watching Wintro, who is feeling acutely uncomfortable. In some unnatural way, he felt included in the embrace and tries to excuse himself.
1: Yeah, very creepy vibes.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But- so here here's the command, and here's where Kenneth is reaching the next step of his plan or finds an opportunity to enact a next step in his plan.
1: Right. Now he can get Wintro and Etta alone. alone
0: for a long period of time.
1: Yes. And nobody has to know what they're doing. And
0: and it feels natural in that conversation.
1: Exactly. But as rereaders and people who know Kenneth's point of view, you can tell this is part of the plan to get them together.
0: Yeah, And still kind of watching for his reaction every time he has any sort of close touch with Etta.
1: Right. And I feel so bad for Etta because she's being used. But also, yeah. I just can't imagine what she has gone through in her life where she feels that she has to be this angry about mm-hmm. her deficiency in not knowing how to read. Like, I, I feel like she's such a strong woman that it's weird almost not, it's not out of character. I don't think it's surprising, but it's weird to see her feeling vulnerable. Yeah. You can tell that she does because of how she's reacting of pushing it away and acting like she doesn't care and getting angry. But it's also interesting to see that Kenneth does not like that. He doesn't like her. He doesn't want to see anger at him. (laughs) Yeah. It's not her place. I like can hear his thoughts whenever Wintro talks about how she's, like, being defiant and, like, why should I? And he, like, he sees the flash of anger on Kenneth's face before he manually smooths everything out. I can hear the thought of, you dumb woman, like, how dare you ask me what I'm thinking? Like, do what I say and no questions asked. I can just (laughs) hear the thought process. But... Out loud, he's just so calm and such a good boyfriend by saying, oh, but I love you so much. I just want you to learn. I want you to experience life all to the fullest. Right. Like, ugh, whatever, Kenneth.
0: is <laughs> trying to leave here and Kenneth stops him and is saying, you won't mind teaching her, will you? And Wintra's like, no. And Kenneth's like, good, start today. <laughs> and then they're interrupted by a cry of sale. And Wintro is feeling very relieved at that for having to try to find an answer.
1: Right. And I feel like it's odd that Wintro trying to run away from this situation.
0: I think I, he's just feeling uncomfortable because they're like in a close embrace with Kenneth's head on top of Etta's head. Fair. And he, Kenneth's just staring at him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> like. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that is... awkward awkward. but it's just weird that it's like oh you should teach her now and he's like oh thank goodness i don't have to do that right now like why does he care he i feel like he would love teaching people things
0: yeah i think it's just i think he's still intimidated by etta right Mm -hmm. and she scares him a bit because she's very intimidating (laughs) fair fair so the thought of doing that right away is kind of like hmm this is uncomfortable don't want to deal with that just yet. I'll wrap my mind around it first. Fair. But they find a sail.
1: Yes. And yeah. this is the sail of a, a
0: slave ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they are seeing it from a distance. It's a very dirty slave ship. They've It's all obviously wallowing in the water, and they're probably bailing out water as they're sailing. There's a dozen serpents swimming behind it. Which are crazily
1: not a super big part of this whole encounter. Yeah, true. They just are mentioned. There's 12 of them there, but don't worry about it. They don't really come up, (laughs) which is kind of funny.
0: At least not yet. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And so vivacious, leaning forward, her face avid. Her eagerness was so great. She almost seemed to pull the ship after her. Look at them. Look at them flee. Her crooked fingers and outstretched arms reached after the ship. As her crew sprang to set her sails for the pursuit, the wind put its power to their backs. "'It's a slaver. Can will kill them all?' Wintrow warned her in a low voice. "'If you help him capture that ship, all the crew will die.' She spared him one glance back. "'And if I do not, how many slaves will die each day of their voyage?' She fixed her gaze on her prey once more, and her voice hardened. "'Not all humans are worthy of life, Wintrow. At least our way preserves the most lives.' If she sails on as she is, it will be a miracle if any on board survive the journey. Wintrow scarcely heard her, but we kind of, uh, before I move on to the next part here, we kind of see where her mind is at, and she is ready. She's yeah. very eager to chase after and put these humans out of their misery and is fully committed to Kenneth's vision of what he has sold to her.
1: Right. I mean, she says our way, meaning her and Kenneth's way.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, Winter was watching and he scarcely heard her replies because he can see that the slaver is pulling away from the Marietta. And the plan is for the Marietta to chase and then Vivatia to come up from the side and, like, push the ship onto the rocks, right? But the Marietta is going to be there first and that's kind of the crucial linchpin of their plan. Right. They have to feel like they're chased. And... There's distance gaining between the Marietta and the slave ship. The slaver was not blind to opportunity, nor to the new threat the vivacia represented, the overladen ship made for the center of the channel. The Marietta was too far behind her. Without the pirate ship to crowd her, the pincer technique had but one jaw. Incredibly, the slaver would escape. So Kennet sets his crutch down on the foredeck, hauls himself up the rest of the way, and once on the deck, he struggles to his feet, gets up there... Because if you guys remember, there is a ladder up there. Right. And he makes his way over to the railing and says, Those poor souls. The slaver is getting away. I'm afraid they're doomed to their fate. There would be no killing today. Winthrop felt a moment of relief. Then Vivacious screamed. The cry was one of thwarted lust. In that instant, the ship picked up speed, every plank and sail suddenly aligned to their best use. The whoops and calls of the crew grew fierce as the gap between Vivacia and the slaver began to close. Her intentness caught Wintrow's awareness like a butterfly snared in a spider's web. My lady! Kenneth exclaimed in vast approval. It was benediction, and Vivacia glowed with satisfaction. Wintrow felt it heat him. Kennet was barking commands. Behind him, he heard the rattle of blades and the jests of men, making ready to go and kill other men. Challenges and bets were exchanged as the boarding party readied itself. Grapples and lines were brought out on deck, while laden archers moved hastily to their places in Vivacia's rigging. Vivacia ignored them all. This was her pursuit, her kill. The men on board her, she heeded not at all. Dimly, Wintra was aware of his own body. His hands were set like claws to the bow rail, and the wind of their passage lashed his hair. Vivacia suffocated his small self in her greater energy. As in a dream, he saw the slaver grow larger before him. And she is intent and focused in carrying Wintrow along with this. He can hear this kind of detached, but all the voices and the grapple lines and the screams and the... You know the roar of the arrows. You far, who was far more keenly aware of the Marietta suddenly gaining on them. She threatened to steal the kill from Vivacia. The ship would not tolerate it. And Vivacia literally leaned over and grasped at the other ship as the grappling lines were pulled tight. Her clawing fingers reached nothing but the avidity on her face terrified the crew of the slaver. At them! At them! She cried out mindlessly, heedless of the orders Kennet was trying to give. Her fierce bloodlust was contagious. So the moment it was leapable, the crew started leaping over, and Kennet is crying out, "'She has done it! Our beauty has done it! Ah, Vivacia, never did I suspect you had such speed and skill!' Kennet was worshipful in his praise. A wave of purest adoration for Kennet flowed through Wintro. The ship's emotion completely overwhelmed his own fear of what would follow now that the slaver had been captured." The figure had twisted about to lock eyes with Kenneth, and the adver- admiration that passed between them was the mutual recognition of predators. So, very, very overwhelming. Kenneth, you know, invites and commands Wintrow to go over to the ship with him. And once they're on deck, in the midst of all the fighting, Wintrow slowly starts to regain his own head a bit.
1: Right. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I don't know if we've seen Vivacia take over Wintro before like this in this way where it was not necessarily something that Wintro is asking her to do. It's just kind, something that
0: kind happened. of, yeah. Um, I think, I think she left, not left, but during the slave uprising, when they were one, I think the feelings were a bit overwhelming And they leaked into Wintro quite a bit then. But it hasn't happened very often. And that was kind of duress for both of them. And this is just a strong emotion.
1: Right. And I think in that instance, they were reaching towards each other to try to like...
0: Right, yeah. Gain uh, strength from each other.
1: Yes. So I feel like that was something... I, I don't know if I would say completely purposeful, but more purposeful. Whereas this instance feels a lot less purposeful, a lot less just like... Just
0: overflowing from her to yeah, everybody else. Yeah, it's just
1: such a strong emotion. And I I find it very interesting how Wintro describes this whole thing as Vivacia becoming this predator. Mm-hmm. Especially because we know what Vivacia is. Yeah,
0: she used to be a she-who-remembers, a dragon.
1: Yeah, and so it's interesting to have that and have that be something that's powerful that those emotions be powerful enough to take over Wintro and really just take him out of his own self
0: yeah it says he felt adrift he was linked to them but they ignored him he was irrelevant to what they had just discovered in one another he could sense them connecting on a deeper more basic level than any he had ever attained what he wondered dimly did they acknowledge in one another? Whatever it was, he felt no answering echo in himself.
1: That also makes me really sad for Wintro.
0: Yes, but at the same time, that bloodlust is not something that's in Wintro, so... No.
1: He just... Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And do you think that's what it is that he's feeling with them?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that's what they're kind of connecting on, is that that thrill of the chase, mm-hmm. the... Bloodlust that rises up in him. I think that Fitz could connect on that level, actually, mm. because he's kind of like that rager in in battles. Fair, yeah. He doesn't love it, but he feels that intensity. Mm. Okay. And I kind of equate it to that same thing. It's like a it's like that base instinct. It's not something that, you know, rationally Fitz loves, right? Right. But right. it's a part of him. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of what Robin Hobb is getting at between Kenneth and Vivacia, except both of them recognize it and welcome that part of them.
1: Right. That's fair.
0: So he's in a daze and he gets called over and scrambles to the other deck with Kenneth and Ada guarding Kenneth's other side. Wintrow is weaponless and they're in the middle of a battle still, and Wintrow is slowly kind of coming to himself again. His mind cleared somewhat as he left vivacious wizardwood behind, but the chaos he plunged into was nearly as numbing. And so there's a big battle here. I I don't know if you want to talk about any of the details, but basically Sorkor is there as well. The Marietta caught up quite quickly, <laughs> almost like it was planned for them to lag behind and Vivatia to chase yeah. down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess that was something that I wanted to talk about that I, I think it's pretty clear to yes. anyone who's reading this that this was planned this is part of Kenneth's plan mm-hmm. to make Vivacia more of his i'm unclear how he got Sorcor sold on the idea because i feel like it's pretty high stakes to sorcor to allow the possibility of a slaver getting away
0: i think so yes but also The way that they were describing this ship, there is no way that Slaver was getting away from Marietta or Vivatia.
1: So if Vivatia didn't step up, they would have just...
0: Yeah, yeah. I think they would have just gone for it.
1: Fair enough. Okay. But yeah, so it's... A lot of clear planning has gone into this and I don't necessarily think that Wintro is fully catching on to everything Mm -hmm. but he does there is that sense of something is weird and again I don't know if that's because he is so good at picking up the subtleties of what things are happening or if it's more the jealousy fueling something and his jealousy just happens to be correct
0: yeah like for example in the text here the wording is evidently the Marietta had caught up swiftly once she put her mind to it. Yeah. So something in the back of his head is just kind of like, this isn't exactly what I remember seeing the other times. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> right. But he's in this scary situation, and he's reeling from this sharing of Vivacia and Kenneth's point of view, and it's yeah. not his own. And he's in this weird space, and he hates. Killing. He doesn't like bloodshed, and that's what this expedition is going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're in the middle of this, Sorcor and Kenneth kind of catch up. They're they're wrapping up everything. And the conclusion is that they have just enough room to have all these slaves onto both of their ships. And when they meet up with the cross patch, which is a, another previous ship that we talked about last chapter with them. They can offload most of the ships there, but it's pretty much fills them up. So they're going to head back to Divi town after this and kind of reintroduce their spoils and show off what they've done since they left last time. Right. But as they are talking about this, a blood smudged pirate hastens up to them and says, begging your pardon, sirs. But the cook wants to yield. He's holed up in the galley. Kill him. Kind of told the man an annoyance begging your pardon, sir, but he says he knows something that would make it worth our while to let him live. Says he knows where there's treasure. Kenneth shook his head in wordless disgust. "'If he knew where there was treasure, why wasn't he going after it instead of hauling slaves in this tub?' Ada demanded sarcastically. "'Don't know, ma'am,' the sailor apologized. "'He's an old un, missing an eye and a hand. Claims he used to sail with Igret the Bold. That's what got us thinking.' Everyone knows that Igret knocked off the satrap's treasure barge, and that lot was never seen again. Maybe he does know. I'll take care of it, Captain, Sorkor promised in irritation. Where's he at? Hold on a moment, Sorkor. Perhaps I'll have a word with this cook. Kenneth sounded both intrigued and suspicious. The pirate looks uncomfortable now, but he tells him where he's at. He's holed up in the galley and he's gonna, you know, he's got a lot of knives and choppers in there. Pretty good at throwing them, too, for an old man with one eye. Wintrow saw a change come over Kenneth's face. I'll talk to him. Alone. You see to getting the slaves up and out of the holds. She's starting to list. So everyone else kind of turns away and starts. Sorkor starts barking orders and they're getting everything evacuated while Kenneth and then Etta follows uh, Kenneth and Wintrow eventually gets called, but he's lost in thought for a second. But Kenneth is going to take care of this so-called former member of Igret's crew. Right.
1: And it's really interesting as rereaders who know why this would be such a big deal to Kenneth Because Kennet also was part of Igret's crew and he killed them all.
0: Yes. And Supposedly so- killed them all or thought he killed them all or most of them at least.
1: Right. And so to have someone come forward and say they're sailing on the ship. You can kind of tell at first before this, the description of the man is brought forward of like, yeah, right. That He's not taking it very seriously. It's annoying that somebody would say he's that, like, but I'll it's,
0: check it out, I guess. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> but he, you can tell he doesn't really believe it's going to be anything. And then when he hears the description of the cook, yeah. Something One eye changes. and
0: really good at throwing knives and stuff. He's like, okay. I'll I'm doing do this it. alone. Yep.
1: And that's how, you know, he probably really did make it off of a great ship. Yeah. And it's crazy. Cause it's like how many other people made it off?
0: <laughs> so Wintrow is standing around looking at the slaves that are slowly coming up, seeing that they're very feeble. And he looked at them and knew the ineffable rightness of what Kennet had done to eliminate this misery was right. But his method of achieving it, Wintrow, There was a spark of annoyance in Etta's voice. Winchrow was standing, staring while Kennet was moving swiftly and with purpose across the deck. The list to the ship was becoming more perceptible every moment. There was no time to waste. He hurried after them. So he's hurrying across. He hears Sorcor yelling to some, um, some of the pirates saying, Leave off that, who are throwing, I think, the slaver crew overboard to the serpents. He's like... There's gonna be plenty for them, anyways. Let's just get the slaves off this and cut this ship loose because it's gonna sink down anyway. So we need to get going as fast as we can. And they finally reach the galley where the uh former Igut's crew mate is holed up. And he's yelling, I'll cut the first man. What comes who what tries to come through? Get your captain, I'll yield to him and him alone. The mocking pirates only crowded closer. They reminded Wintrow of a pack of dogs with a cat up a tree. Kenneth announces that he's there and everyone kind of sobers up.
1: <laughs> I do have a question. Do you think the cook knows who Kenna is?
0: No, no, I don't think so. Hmm. Because he's just calling him the captain, right? And he's just trying to make a deal for it. He's not you know, terrified of anything.
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair.
0: So Kenneth announces himself. He says, "Be about your work." And it's just Kenneth Etta and Wintro outside of this. So Kenneth orders him, "Come out!" And he says, "You, the captain. I am. Show yourself." The man peeped one eye around the door, then darted back out of sight. So he's not showing himself. So Kenneth can't make an identification to him. Right. But this cook says that he has something to trade. You let me live, I'll tell you where Igrit the Bold stashed his loot. The whole lot. Not just all he got from the treasure barge, but all he took afore that. No one knows where Igrit hid the treasure, Kennet declared with confidence. He and his whole crew went down together. No one survived. If anyone had... They would have plundered his trove a long time ago. With amazing stealth, Kenneth eased forward to stand immediately beside the door jamb. And the cook responds, Well, I did. Been waiting for years to get to where I could go back and get it, but I was never in the right position. Basically, he says, Anytime I would have told somebody, I would have gotten the knife in the back. And not just any man can go after it. It would take a special ship. A ship like you got. Just the same as Igret once had. And I'm sure you're taking my drift now. There's places as a live ship can go that no other can follow. But now, well, I told you enough. You keep me alive, I'll lead you there. But you gotta let me live. Kenneth didn't reply. A stillness came over him. He was poised, motionless beside the door. He's just silent, waiting. And the cook is very confused. like, hey, Captain, you there? (laughs) Come on, let me live. Right. What's going on? You could just walk right in and take half of it. It's like half of its magical Bingtown stuff. It's worth a fortune. Yeah. What do you say?
1: <laughs> and again, I think this solidifies that this is a real Igret member. Yeah, he especially knows. Especially to rereaders because we know where Igret's treasure is. Yes. And why he wanted a live ship. But I think, yeah, I think this is all Kenneth needed. Even mm-hmm. if he can't see the guy. This is for sure an great crew member, and he probably doesn't want him to see him. Right. And we know that because there is a moment where Wintro can't really tell what happens first. But the man goes to peek his good eye out of the door or out of the hole in the door, and at the same time, Kenneth puts a knife through that eye. So he is dead. <laughs>
0: The two objects came together as swiftly and synchronously as clapping hands. Kenneth's blade sank deep into the man's good eye and then was pulled out. The man's body tumbled back out of sight. There are no survivors from Igret's crew, Kennet asserted. He took an uneven breath. When he looked around, he blinked as if awakening from a dream. And in annoyance he says, Stop dallying here, let's get off its ship, it's sinking. Let's go.
1: Why do you think Kenneth looks around like he's waking from a dream? Like, what does that mean? What
0: I think because he's lost in memories, right? Because he wants to eliminate Igrit's presence from the Mm -hmm. world. And so him killing another member that he pretty much confirms was a member is probably very nice and cathartic for him.
1: Mm -hmm. I was also wondering if it may be like... If it was fueling a fear of who else did I miss? Could be. Is this the last one? Is this the last of Igret's memory coming back for me? Like, I don't know.
0: Could be, yeah. Wintro is trailing after them numbly, though, as Edda and Kennet walk away with basically no concern on their faces. Right. And
1: it's really messed with him, this mm-hmm. encounter.
0: How did death happen so swiftly? How could the whole equation of a man's life be so swiftly reduced to zero? What he had done was an immense shock to the youth. A brief extension of the pirate's hand, and death bloomed. Yet the holder of the knife felt nothing. Wintrow felt scored by his association with the man. He suddenly longed for Vivacia. She would help him think about this. She would say there was no justification for the guilt that he felt. And as he's longing for that, they make it back to Vivacia. But as soon as they touch down, Vivacia calls out to Kenneth, And it's pretty obvious that she wants to be alone with Kennet to discuss things.
1: Right. And Kenneth goes to her while making Etta and Wintro clean up the slaves that have come to their ship.
0: He wants to be alone with her, Etta stated it as blunt fact. Jealousy flamed in her eyes. Windrow looked down at the deck to keep her from seeing the same thing in his face. Nice little mirrors of each other there. Yeah. Both jealous for the opposite person.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for them. And I, I feel really bad for, for both Edda and Windrow because Edda's being used in this way and Windrow is so alone.
0: Yeah. Well, we switch over to Althea now.
1: Right. Yeah, we're leaving behind the vivacia and crew. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And we are with Althea and Greg. She's gone to visit him in hiding.
1: Yeah, and he is hiding in a cottage that his family owns.
0: Yes. And they're kind of just, you know casually talking, sitting yeah, and talking, just hanging
1: out. And Althea is joking with him that he seems to be living in style for someone living in hiding and they're giggling and having a good time. It's a comfortable mm-hmm. hangout.
0: She can see in him, the, you know, the sailor, the sailing man from Rinston that she saw in the taverns there instead right. of like the trader's boy, because he can be more relaxed here in the cottage. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is nice. And Greg explains why they have a cottage and why he went here and how they avoided the blood plague with it. And she's thinking, not for the first time. Althea wondered how her life would have been different if her brothers had survived the blood plague. Would her father have taken her on the ship? Would she be married by now with children of her own? Uh, yeah, I think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that she would have been given the opportunity to be as free as she had been. Yeah. Although I don't know that she would know that she liked it so much. Right. You know, exactly. she would have just found a way to be different in Bingtown, Probably. Mm-hmm. I still think she would have probably, she would not have turned into Kefria because I think she has more spine than Kefria does naturally. I think they're just, they have very different personalities, but I do think she would have been very similar in, Picking somebody who probably wasn't a traitor and settling down in that way.
0: Right. So Althea kind of goes into how she got up there in the first place. Mm -hmm. A note had been passed from Greg's mother to her mother and like asking for a favor, basically. Can your daughter, you know, do a favor for the Tanira family? Right. And... Althea's like well with my reputation as bad as it was Veronica probably just let me go and just like it can't get worse so here you go
1: (laughs) yeah she says her mom doesn't didn't really need much time to think on it it just Mm -hmm. she just kind of sighed and let her do it and I find it so Althea of her to assume it's because perhaps her mother had
0: decided that Althea had no reputation left to protect
1: right instead of Realizing that her mom is like, okay, they're basically engaged, and these are different times. This is not Mm -hmm. normal. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think it has to be. There's no reputation worth saving.
0: Right? They think the worst of me. So
1: yeah, poor poor pitiful.
0: She she explains how a horse had been waiting for her in the Bingtown stable. Had no real knowledge of where she was going, so she rode for a while until another person handed her another note, which led her to a you know an inn, and then she was traded off for another horse.
1: And given a men's cloak to wear. And a men's
0: cloak, and that new horse had saddlebags with food and things like that, and then she went up to the cottage. There had been an air of both mystery and adventure to tracking Greg down, but never did Althea forget that it was serious as well. In the days since Ophelia had defied the satrap uh, tariff minister, town had grown more divided. The live ship's swift departure from the harbor had been a wise decision, for three new Chalcedian patrol vessels had arrived shortly thereafter. This timely arrival had sparked suspicions that the tariff ministry had closer ties to Chalced than perhaps even Jamalia knew. Someone had broken into the minister's quarters and messily killed a coat of homing pigeons there. The tariff warehouses that had survived the council night fires had been torched twice since then. This had led to the Chalcedian mercenaries guarding the minister's quarters by night, as well as ostensibly patrolling the harbor and adjacent waters. Some of those old traders who had initially been more conservative were now more sympathetic to those who quietly spoke of independence from Jamalia. So even more action has been taken, lines are being drawn more clearly, and some of the people that were in the middle are even going over towards the more active and, I guess, liberal uh, old trader side.
1: Right. It's really interesting because I think this incident really shined a light on how bad things are. Yeah. And I don't, I think before then there was a way to be obtuse about it. It wasn't affecting me personally. Right. I don't have to worry about it. Who cares if you have to pay a little bit extra fees. We always have had to do that. That's status quo. But then seeing the response is more chalcedians coming in they're patrolling bingtown waters this is bingtown territory and the chalcedians are taking over yep. ostensibly
0: and like, they're like okay maybe there is, is some weight to the words
1: yeah this isn't as not a big deal as i thought like mm-hmm. it's a bigger deal than i thought i
0: suppose. And Greg is still kind of the centerpiece for that, right? He's the big name that got away. They had him arrested. He escaped from that custody. And now he's in hiding. And there's a huge bounty on his head.
1: Yeah. And the bounty keeps rising. Mm -hmm. And Althea talks about how it's...
0: Brashen's joke that he could sell... Yes. That that (laughs) Althea could sell Greg to refit Paragon isn't even really a joke anymore because that could happen with the amount of money.
1: Right. But it is... Also, outside of that, Greg being the face is putting more pressure on the Chalcedians to search for him and to be in town and going through things. And it's really changing the dynamic like that. Specifically, they are deciding that all of these fires, all of this trouble is because of Greg. They're pinning everything on him, which in turn is putting pressure in town. And Mm -hmm. also they're raising prices. They want him found and
0: It's becoming a, you know, a honeypot for others.
1: Yes. And Althea makes the point that while right now there are very few people who know, there are still people that know. And the price, if it keeps going up, eventually it becomes dangerous that somebody's going to fall for it. They're just going to say, hey, that's actually a lot of money. Everybody's on hard times right now. Right. At some point that money is going to be worth more than Greg is to somebody, friends or not.
0: Yeah, and Althea thinks about this and knows that Greg had to act and pretty soon. And she says, I still do not understand why you linger near Bingtown. Surely you could slip out of the town on one of the live ships. I am only amazed that the satraps agents have not deduced that you would be here. It is well known that your family has a cabin in the Sanger Forest. So well known that they have been here twice and searched it. They may come again, but if they do, they will find it as empty and abandoned as the last times. How? Althea was intrigued.
1: This is actually kind of funny. It turns out that Greg's uncle that built this cabin or cottage um, is thought to have been somebody who had a lot of mistresses. So there are a lot of precautions and secret rooms that have been taken on... There's a bell that rings there.
0: Yeah. He says that is why there is not only a wine cellar concealed behind a false wall in the root cellar, but a tiny chamber behind that. And there's a very expensive sympathy bell with its partner installed in the footbridge you crossed. So... Basically, as somebody crosses the bridge, there's a bell that rings there, and at the same time, rings up in the house. So he knows when somebody's coming.
1: Right, and the bell at the bridge is very quiet, so
0: people can't really hear it. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Thanks, Saw, for the magic of the Rain Wilds."
1: That does though. That that magic, it's all good in theory and practice, and I, I mean, we have that in real life too, but. It's only good if people don't know it's there. And what if Chalcedians are searching the cabin and then the bell rings? And then a few minutes later, more Chalcedians <laughs> come to the door. You know what I mean? Like, right. there, there is a way you could be caught with it. But for now, it seems to be working. And that's good enough.
0: She does ask him, you intend to remain here? And he's like, no, it'd only be a matter of time before they caught me. Because of, you know, supplies and the folk in the area know that I'm here. Right. Many of them are three ships family. Good people, but not rich. Eventually, one would give in to the temptation. No, I am leaving and very soon. That is why I begged my mother to arrange this visit. I feared your family would forbid it. I knew it was not proper for me to seek to see you alone in these circumstances. Desperate times beget desperate measures. He looked apologetic. Althea gave a small, a soft snort of amusement. I don't think mother gave it that much thought. I'm afraid my childhood reputation as a rebellious hoyden has followed me into adulthood. What would be scandalous for my sister to do is ordinary behavior for me. And they get a little bit closer. Greg kind of grabs her hand and says, Is it wrong for me to say that I am glad it is so? Otherwise, I would have never come to know you well enough to love you. The bald admission left her speechless. She tried to move her mouth to say she loved him too, but the lie would not come. Odd. She had not known it would be a lie until she tried to speak the words. She took a breath to say something true. That she had come to care for him as well, or that she was honored by his words. But With a shake of his head, he cut her off. Don't speak. You don't have to say it, Althea. I know you don't love me. Not yet. In many ways, your heart is even more cautious than mine is. I knew that from the beginning. Even if I had not, Althea was at great pains to tell me. So when she was instructing me in how to woo you. Ophelia. Ophelia was, yes. He laughed self-deprecatingly. Not that I sought her advice. In many ways, she's a second mother to me. She does not wait for me to ask for her advice. So the big L-bomb was dropped on Althea here, and she's trying to say something true. Yeah, it's...
1: (laughs) She's like, "Oh, I don't know what to say," which is crazy because I really feel like Althea normally isn't speechless in any situation. She just says whatever is on the top of her mind regardless of the consequences. So it's really interesting that whenever it comes to Greg, she's like boys in general,
0: to... brash too. She's kind of Yeah, she just like
1: <laughs> I don't know, it feels like she's playing a game here, I guess. And I don't know, she just This whole interaction going from here, it's very, oh, what should I do to make sure that I don't ruin this and stop this from continuing? Instead of recognizing, like, I don't even like him that much. This should end. Like at, At some point, she realizes it needs to end. But to start with... It doesn't seem to bother her that she's leading Greg on like it does a little bit. She feels uncomfortable that he's admitting out loud how much he cares about her, but not enough that she wants to fix the cell this, the situation and like really clear the air and mm-hmm. make it less weird or hurt him less. It's more just about her and how she's.
0: Yeah. And she even falls back on, I find no fault with you, Greg. There's nothing you've done to turn back my feelings. But my life has, you know, kept me so busy and I have to go up for vivacia. Yeah. So there's like no time for it. I just have so much going on,
1: which like she does. Fair. It, it, it is
0: true. But that's not the only reason that she knows it.
1: Yeah. It just, I feel like she's lying to herself and him. And that's not very... Althea of her.
0: (laughs) Greg admits like, yeah, I've given up hope that you're going to come with me. And maybe a wedding would be seen as way too hasty in times like these. But what of later? Better times will come. And he's considered his words and gave a bitter laugh. He says, or worse ones, perhaps. I would like to tell myself that in time you will stand beside me and join my family. Althea, will you marry me? So he does he has a proposal a little bit more properly this time not yes. grave, but it's straight up asking not as much of a joke not as much of a joke straight up asking her understanding that there's a plight and it's probably going to be much later but yes. also asking and she closes her eyes and knew a moment of pain this was a good man an honest and upright man handsome desirable even wealthy I don't know she told him quietly I try to look ahead and imagine a time when my life will be my own, to arrange as I will, but I cannot see that far. If all goes well and we win the Vivacia back, then I will still challenge Kyle for possession of her. If I win her, then I will sail her. She met his eyes honestly. We have spoken of this before. I know you cannot leave Ophelia. If once more I possess Vivacia, I will not leave her. Where does that leave us?'
1: That's, I think, a valid thing. and That's I think a very this, honest thing that she yes. said, yes. And I think this is really the problem. I think this is why they won't work. And obviously it's also because the feelings aren't there on Althea's side. But pragmatically, this is why it will not work. And this is part of why I think Althea can't really... I think she's being truthful when she says that this is why she can't like him more. Yeah. But I think the reason she can't like him more because of that circumstance is because he's not willing to give up Ophelia for her, mm-hmm. but he's expecting her to give up Vivacia for him. And that's more of the heart of the matter. But I think this is what she believes is the problem. Yeah. And so I think that's fine. I also feel like it's really telling that in Greg's proposal to Althea, he is saying, I want you to be part of my family to stand with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a beautiful sentiment and great.
0: But and a when typical ha- thing in Bing Town. Yes,
1: and a typical thing in Bing Town. But when has he expressed wanting to stand with her family or with her? It's It just, you can see the self-centeredness of that ask in a way that I don't think, I don't think Greg is aware that that is a self-centered
0: ask. And it's, it's because that's the traditional ask of right. Bangtown, right? That's just what's. Althea expected. wants more of the twenty first century modern, or the yes, yeah, you know.
1: No, definitely, but I think that's that's the problem is that he is too selfish in his needs, and she wants to be selfish in hers, mm-hmm. and you can't both be selfish. There has right. to be compromise, and that's what
0: Amber was talking about.
1: Exactly, yeah, but I I do want to point out that I think. That's the big key because somebody who really loved Althea for who she is and understood her deeper as a person, I don't think would have that ask of her in their marriage proposal.
0: So Greg responds, you make it hard for me to wish you to success for if you win all you desire, I lose you. At the dawn of her frown, he laughed aloud, but you know I do. Nevertheless, if you do not succeed, well... I will be waiting for you with Ophelia. She lowered her eyes and nodded to his offer, but in her heart she felt a small chill. What would it be to fail? And she thinks that, you know, she would never see Vivatia again. And yeah, she would be Greg's wife and aboard his ship as a passenger, minding her little ones lest they fall overboard, seeing her sons grow up and sail away with her father while she stayed home and ran a household and married off her daughters. The future suddenly seemed a tightening net webbing her in. She tried to breathe, tried to convince herself that her life would not be like that. Greg knew her. He knew her heart was at sea, not at home. But just as he accepted her duty to her family now, once they were married, he would expect her to do her duty to him. Why else did sailors take wives, save to have someone at home to mind the house and raise the children? I can't be your wife, incredulously she heard herself say the words aloud. She forced herself to meet his eyes. That is what truly keeps me from loving you, Greg, knowing that that would be the price I must pay. I could love you easily, but I could not live in your shadow. In my shadow? He asked in confusion. Althea, I, I don't understand. You would be my wife, honored by my family, the mother of the Tanira heir. There was genuine hurt in his voice. He groped for words. More than that, I could not offer. It is all and everything I have to offer any woman I marry. That and myself. His voice sank to a whisper. I had hoped it would be enough to win you. Slowly, he opened his hand. It was as if he released a bird. And she draws her hand back and says, Greg, no man could offer me more than that or better.
1: I think we should stop there so we can talk about this. So I think, again, this just shows the disconnect between Greg and Althea and what they both want for the future.
0: Yeah, which makes anybody incompatible. Right. Right.
1: And I don't think I don't think Greg is a bad person for wanting this. I don't want it to sound that way. And obviously, like as a 21st century person, it reads a little differently than if this were the ideals of now. But I do find it odd that Greg is so convinced he loves Althea and really cares about her, but he still doesn't know her. He cannot imagine or fathom that a woman would not want the honor of being his wife and the heir to his children.
0: Like I didn't read it like that at all. That's, that makes it sound like it's such an honor to marry me, and I don't think that's what Greg is saying. I think that's like, this is what I have to offer and you would be cherished and you wouldn't be in my shadow. We would be together. But he what he can't fathom or understand is that a woman would want the same thing that he would want.
1: Yeah, but I think that's what I mean. It it doesn't have to be a nasty like, oh, you're a woman. You are nothing more than my wife and the mother. Yeah, I'm saying like, what more is there for a woman than being my wife and mother of my child, like there isn't anything more. Why would you want more than that? But Althea has expressed more than that. Like she has expressed what she wanted multiple times to Greg and the fact that he doesn't understand why offering him the position of his w- being his wife, respected by his family heir, mother of the heir, how that isn't enough And I don't like that is a big disconnect to me. Like, how does he listen to her talk about vivatia and not understand who she is? Like, how does he say that he loves her and cares about her truly if he doesn't understand why that's not a priority for her? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. It doesn't have to, I don't think it's like a, oh, I'm a man and I'm better than you. And I understand That's not what
0: I was implying you were okay. saying either. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. But it like, I don't know. I just, she has been so clear and open and honest on multiple occasions when they've talked about this, about what her goals are and what she's working towards and what her fears are in marrying her or marrying Greg.
0: I don't think she's ever expressed it to him. I think she's always thought it. But she has never straight up said it until like this conversation.
1: Well, she's said to him before, like, what would we do? What will we do if we both have live ships? And if I don't, right. I'm like, I want to be on the sea. I want to sail. Like, she's told him that she mm-hmm. has those aspirations. She's told him she doesn't really see herself being a mother at home with kids yeah. because they've had a conversation where he said, well, you can be on ship with me taking care of the babies, which also isn't what she wants. But like, I just I don't know I feel it I feel like to an extent she has been pretty honest with who she is and what she expects out of her life and he's not being very honest in
0: I disagree he is being very honest about what he wants and who he expects they're just incompatible So I I don't know I, I agree with you I just I don't agree with him with you saying he hasn't been honest Well
1: about it. I wasn't done that wasn't the end of the oh, sentence Okay <laughs> I don't think he's very, being very honest in saying that he I, I don't know. I lost it. It's gone. Oh,
0: sorry. He he says that that's all he has to offer, right? is just himself and like welcoming her into the family.
1: Right. Which is fine. And I yeah. think that there are women out there who would want that. I just mm-hmm. don't see how he can say that he cares about Althea and knows her so well, well enough to love her and then not see that she's not one of those women. I just don't think... Like, I know that we're in her head and we get her dialogue and we have been with her longer, but I don't feel like it should come as a shock that that isn't something that is important to her. They have taught they have had multiple talks. They've had time alone that we have not seen in book. And they have spent a lot of time together and enough to know that they're friendly ish. Like I mean, they're friendly <laughs> for sure. I just I don't know. I think it's odd It's not that odd because it happens all the time, but it's odd that Greg is so shocked. (laughs) Like, oh, but what else is there? (laughs) Well,
0: they're incompatible for their goals, you know? No, definitely. And and
1: that's totally fine.
0: Yep. And Althea finally, finally says that to Greg. (laughs) Right.
1: And I think it's very telling that she says no man... Could offer me more than what you are giving to me, or better, th- or that. better, and I think that's really telling of what she thinks marriage is. That mm-hmm. if she is to get married to a man, that's what she has to be. She's giving up her dreams and aspirations and her goals yeah. to be they're, that.
0: They're both operating within their traditions, right? Yeah, exactly, for society. And society.
1: Yeah, and I don't think she's trying to like shame him for wanting that or thinking that that's a good deal because it is. And he's really respectful and of course being his wife would be nice and she would enjoy those aspects, but that's not all
0: there is for her. Mm-hmm. But Greg responds to that. Not even Brash and Trell, his voice thickened on the words. A terrible coldness welled up inside her. He knew he knew she had bedded with Trell. She was glad she was sitting down. She tried to control her face even as she fought the roaring in his her ears. Sa, she was going to faint. This was ridiculous. She could not grasp the extent of her reaction to his words. He stood suddenly and walked a short distance away from the table. So, you love him then? His words were almost accusatory. I don't know. She tried to clear her throat. It was just something that happened between us. We'd both been drinking, and the beer was drugged, and I know all that. He still did not look at her. Ophelia told me all that, when she warned me. I didn't want to believe her. Warned him. A sudden, gaping loss gutted her. She suddenly doubted that Ophelia had even liked her. How long have you known? She managed to ask. The night she urged me to kiss you, and I did. She told me later. I suppose she felt, oh, I don't know, guilty, afraid that I might get hurt if I fell too deeply in love with you, and then found out you weren't what I expected. Why didn't you tell me this before? I thought it wouldn't matter. It bothered me, of course. I wanted to kill the bastard, of all the low things to do. But then Ophelia told me that you might have feelings for him, might even be a bit in love with him? It was a half-hearted question.
1: So, I'm going to say the thing that I hate most about this is that when she turns down Greg, the first thing he does is weaponize the fact that she has slept with Brashin. True. I think it's really gross of him to do that. I think... It's really petty and it kind of confirms all the fears Althea has been having all this time of like, if people know it will be used against me and this is a horrible thing and this is why she was having so much trouble coming to terms with number one, this being something that she wanted to do and something that she was a willing participant of. And I think the fact that the first person who she does care about, like she has some type of feelings towards Greg, even if it's just platonic, but there is some sort of trust there. And he throws that in her face. This is so harsh. And I I remember reading this the first time where she's like, oh, he knows and thinking, oh, she's being dramatic. Like he doesn't know anything. She's just Mm -hmm. sensitive about this. And he actually did. And that was what he was doing. And I'm just so disappointed in Greg.
0: I think it makes total sense for Greg's thought process, though, too. He has spent all this time doing his best to be a complete gentleman, doing everything right, offering assistance, giving assistance to the family and Mm -hmm. to Althea, supporting her through things, going on wonderful dates. They seem to have established a rapport. He was warned that yeah, she might have feelings for this brashing guy who's a terrible influence and definitely led people astray and was, right. you know, gambling and all sorts of stuff and warned to stay away from. But Greg's like, I, ah, you know, that sucks. You know, it's awful, but I think we have a good thing going. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I can't love you. You know, I can't marry you, you know, and that's yeah. stopping me from loving you. No man can give me that. So this doubt in the back of his mind is just preying on him. He's just like Then is it brashin? Yeah, is that what's stopping you?
1: Right, and and I think that's a fair worry to have. But I think the way he goes about—oh, yeah, no, no, no. no—I just think
0: it makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, you're right for sure. It just—it just makes me so disappointed because I like Greg, and I think he's like a good kid. (laughs) (laughs) But I hate that. I hate that. That's his first instinct is like, oh, you don't like me. Well whatever you hussy like you know what i mean like that's not what he says and he like does try to like frame it as like she's this poor innocent porcelain doll that needs to be protected and brashen somehow pulled the wool over her eyes and she had no autonomy at all and there's no possible way well
0: he starts with the uh with you know there's no man that can offer me more or better not even brashen he starts with like the love angle right Right. trying to confirm that not with the sleeping with (laughs) you've slept with him and there's issues there you know but yes well we'll get to that part as well yeah
1: yeah. but no I just I also hate that he's like of course I hated that knowledge it bothered me of course like why do you care it's not you I get it I get it I get it but I it like bothers me so much it's
0: Take yourself out of it. You I know? have
1: to. But like, what do you mean? <laughs> of also, course. <laughs> Ophelia. Yeah. That also. What a betrayal. What do you mean? She didn't want him to be caught up with the wrong type of person. And maybe this is him reading into it weird. But like, how could Ophelia do that to Althea? And
0: Althea I, suddenly doubts that Ophelia had even liked her. She thinks.
1: Yeah. Which mm. I think is. I don't think that's true. I think Ophelia does like
0: yes but she also but like, has like a you know commitment to her family
1: yeah and she's also from even further in the past mm-hmm. so like
0: ugh. but women were, were more free back then
1: a little bit but i don't think like in their ability to like
0: in their sexuality or yeah, anything yeah like i don't
1: yeah i don't think like women okay. were allowed to have trysts outside of marriage even that's fair yeah
0: but yeah so philia kind of does that and Althea is wondering why didn't you tell me this before and Greg is like you know I thought it wouldn't matter of all the low things to do and he asks might even be a bit in love with him and Althea responds I don't think I am that's twice Greg observed bitterly you know you don't love me but you aren't sure about him I've known him a long time she said lamely She wanted to say she didn't love him, but how could you know someone that long, be friends with someone that long, and not feel some kind of love for him? It was not that different from her relationship with Devad Restart. She could despise the traitor's actions, and still recall a kindly, avuncular bumbler. For years, Trell was a friend and a shipmate, and what happened between us doesn't change those years. I I don't understand at all, Greg said softly. She still heard the undercurrent of anger in his voice. He dishonored you, Althea. He compromised you. When I found out, I was furious. I wanted to call him out. I was sure you must hate him. I knew he deserved to die. I thought he would never dare to return to Bingtown after what he had done. When he did, I wanted to kill him. Only two things held me back. I could not do so without revealing the reason for challenging him. and I didn't want to shame you. Then I heard he had called at your home. I thought perhaps he was going to offer to do the honorable thing. If he had and you would refuse him, did he offer? Is that what this is about? Do you feel some sort of obligation to him? There was desperation in his voice. He was struggling so hard to understand. She stood up from the table and went to stand beside him. She too looked into the darkened forest. He didn't rape me, she said. That is what I must admit to you. What happened between us was not wise, but it wasn't violent, and I was as much to blame as Brashin. He's a man. Greg spoke the words uncompromisingly. He crossed his arms on his chest. The blame is his. He should have been protecting you, not taking advantage of your weakness. A man should control his lust. He should have been stronger. She felt struck dumb. Was this really how he viewed her? As a weak and helpless creature to be guided and protected by whatever man happened to be closest to her? Did he honestly believe she could not have stopped Brashing if she had wanted to? She felt first a rift, and then a building anger. She wanted to rip him with words, to force him to see that she controlled her own life. Then, as swiftly as it had come, the anger fled. It was hopeless. She saw her liaison with with uh, Brashen as a personal event that had involved only the two of them. Gregg viewed it as something that had been done to her, something that must change her forever. It affronted his whole concept of society. Her own shame and guilt had not come from a sense of wrongdoing, but from a fear of what the discovery could do to her family. The two views seemed radically different to her. She knew with a sudden deep certainty that they could never build anything together. Even if she could have given up her dreams of a ship of her own, even if she had suddenly decided she wanted a home and children to cherish, his image of her as a weak and defenseless woman would always humble her. So, yeah, there there is the difference in attitudes and views that you were talking about.
1: Yeah. I think I don't want to get to go too far into it. I think it's pretty clear where I stand. And how I personally (laughs) feel about Greg's little outburst here. Right. Um, But yeah, it's. It's just
0: it's a reflection of the society, right? It is like it's he is not a unique perspective in this. No. And it's something that surprises Althea because she is a different perspective from the regular society of Bingtown. So she's, oh, it's going to affect the reputation of my family and what will it do to that? But never thought that it would be out of her hands.
1: Yeah, I I think that's it. I think Greg not being able to accept Althea as an autonomous adult... Who's yeah. making decisions and instead it's all about her honor
0: and it's like i don't care if it was like you initiated he should have said no like, right that's even like the that's, extent of it you know Yeah. The, that's,
1: that's the man's job is whatever like it it's really frustrating it's gross too that he's like oh he should have taken responsibility because he's ruined you
0: yeah, did he do the honorable thing? And I'm assuming that's go over and propose marriage, right? Right.
1: And I like, I get the idea of like, oh, maybe she rejected me because he proposed and she thinks I don't know, and she doesn't want to. Yeah. Like he, you can tell, you He's can trying see to the wheels. Yeah, you can see the wheels turning and see the like, oh, he offered to marry you, which is the right thing to do, and now you feel like you owe that to him, even though you want to be with me. And it's okay. I forgive you. Like, it's just like you couldn't have done anything. You didn't like you poor pitiful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think Althea is right. I think even if it was just like a kiss between her and Brashin, but this is how he responded. It's clear that he does not view her as a fully functioning adult. Yeah. It doesn't matter what skills she has or what choices she makes. Nothing is fully in her control. She will always need to be protected by a man.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that just isn't who she is. And again, I think it comes back to my thing before of he's saying that he loves her and he knows her and he treasures her and yet has these ideas about her. And it's just so fundamentally against who Althea is. And I don't know. (laughs) He, he loves the idea of Althea. I'm sure she's, Mm -hmm. a beautiful woman and is she's different than the other girls that he comes in contact with, but he can't accept that those differences mean that she doesn't want the traditional things to Right? It's, it's so interesting and it, it makes sense. It happens all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can be in love with the idea of a person.
0: Reality is different. Yeah. I don't know. And so Althea is coming to that reality. She's coming to those conclusions and thinks that, well, I should leave now. Greg's like, well, it's dark. You can't go now. And Althea, in just basically a reflection of what she was thinking, is like, no, I can do this. It isn't far. Once I'm past the bridge, I'll go slowly. And the horse seems very steady. Stay, please stay and talk. We can resolve this. No, Greg, I don't think we can. An hour ago, she, you know, would have at least touched his hand, would have wanted to kiss him goodbye at least but now she knew she could never get past the barriers between them. You're a good man. You'll find a woman who is right for you. I wish you all the best, and when next you see Ophelia, give her my best wishes also. He followed her through the light. She picked up her wine glass to drink the last of it, and when she looked around, she realized there was nothing else for her to do there. She was ready to leave. Althea. Greg suddenly looked very boyish and young. He met her eyes bravely and did not try to hide his pain. The offer stands. I'll wait until you come back. Be my wife. I don't care what you've done. I love you. She searched for true words she could say to him. You have a kind heart, Greg Tanira. she said at last. Farewell.
1: That would not have been my last words. (laughs) (laughs) I... I don't know. It's ridiculous to me that he's poor, poor, pitifuling himself right now. Like, little pity party. Like, but i I don't I care. Mean, in his
0: mind, he really doesn't know where he went wrong with those thoughts, right? For sure. Like, he's just like, this is so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> like, the offer still stands. She's acting completely different to anything that I was ever... Prepared for anything I ever learned from my peers, anything my parents ever told me about. This is not how this is supposed to happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It. I don't know. I get it. I. It's fine.
0: (laughs) They just weren't weren't right for each other. No, they weren't. Ultimately, that's kind of the point that Robin Hobb is making here. And what Althea was struggling with, because they should be right. Yeah, they should be a great match together. And If her brothers were still alive, the blood plague hadn't happened, maybe she would have been paired off with Greg and that would have been an amazing match. Yeah. But Althea learned her independence and learned her worth as she was sailing and knows what she wants for the future and that is not part of it.
1: Yeah, I think there's just, I don't know, she's just too different of a person from... Mm -hmm. She, who Althea really is is too different from the Althea Greg is in love with. And Althea recognizes that and is removing herself from the situation, whereas Greg cannot wrap his mind mm-hmm. around it.
0: Finally removing herself from the yes. situation.
1: Yeah, I will say I'm not happy with how long Althea has dragged out this situation. I hate that this it had to get to this point. I don't know. He
0: literally proposed twice before she's like, mm, I don't love you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't love you, actually. <laughs>
1: yeah. I like I do think that while she was on the ship, it makes sense that she was kind of dragging her feet about yeah. it because she's even, indebted to them and they're bringing her home.
0: Even like, the trader meeting. Yes. That makes sense, too. But like that's when he first proposed. Their next meeting should have been like, I don't think we yeah. should do this. Like, hey,
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not gonna work out. No, it still kept going. Like, I think this even This is a month later. The, this yeah. is a month later now. <laughs> yeah. And they've met multiple times in between now and then. Yep. No. What what also actually that might be a mistake in the text because it says Althea doesn't know where Greg is, but she was late last chapter to um something because she was hanging out with Greg.
0: Because that was a week. After, right? So there's there's time skips here. Okay. Uh, there's the, um, they first, like Greg's going into hiding. They get the, they learn the news or whatever. And then a week mm-hmm. later, we catch up with them. They've been working on writing the Paragon. Right. And then this is a month later. So she met with Greg like two, three weeks ago. And now he's at a new place. Okay. I'm assuming he's like moving around a bit. Okay.
1: But yeah, it's... I don't know. It just feels like even before the council, there should have been a talk because I think they had a meeting where it was pretty clear. It was clear on the boat. She didn't like him, but I will give her that she needed to be back in home. Find out all the
0: things to think like, it was clear to Greg that she didn't like. No,
1: not to Greg, but to Althea. Oh, Althea yeah, yeah, yeah. knew then <laughs> that this was like, he's cute. I mm-hmm. like him enough.
0: And Ophelia was kind of pushing it along too. Definitely. So
1: but it just
0: muddies the water.
1: Like it could have been cut off so much quicker and I obviously a lot is going on like yes. it's not it's not yeah. and it's also not all on the Althea to have this be the first priority like a lot has happened her ship has been captured by mm-hmm. pirates she's trying to raise money things are dire I don't know but I also that's another thing that like annoys me about Greg is like all this stuff is happening to Althea and he's like I know it's not really a good time but can we talk about our relationship I mean, it's not a good time for him either, right? Yeah. But- he's
0: he's on the run with a huge bounty on his head. He can't yeah. show his face in Bingtown anymore, his family. His family live ship left because they distributed illegal goods to the rest of Bingtown without Ooh. paying taxes. So his father left and is wanted by Chelsea and mercenaries. Right. <laughs> and his mother is then left alone at their house.
1: Yeah. No, I mean... So,
0: like, I don't think anyone's having a good time right now.
1: <laughs> no, for sure not. But I just think it's a little ridiculous of Greg in the midst of everything, everything going on to yeah. be like, but what about us? Like, what, can we define our relationship? Like, I feel like this is the most important thing right now. Um, True. Before I go on the run, like, we just need to solidify. Let's get engaged. And <laughs> I don't know. Annoying.
0: <sighs> My man had a desperate last line, though.
1: Oh! Uh- i hate it like greg no i'll be waiting here don't Please do that to yourself life. you deserve better like nobody deserves do not do that
0: like don't <laughs> wait you know five months for a maybe Yes, for an almost um, definite no i should say <laughs> literally
1: like you people uh it just like as much as i'm mad about how greg responded to things and was acting in this chapter i also i
0: mean it's an impulsive ask at yes. the end right yeah. like he's not actually thinking she's no. gonna go through with it but still
1: but like even still have a little bit more self-respect. Like (laughs) there is somebody that will want you 100% yes, no ifs and maybes.
0: Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Like Aki Kelter or something? The three three ships girl.
1: And you should want that. You should not be so hung up on somebody who maybe likes you, I guess. And like maybe could, if things were completely different and it was a different universe and also, they never <laughs> lived the life they have already lived. But
0: yeah. it, uh, just
1: like, oh, Greg, respect yourself more. <laughs> Get a little bit of Molly in you. Learn to walk away.
0: <laughs> true, actually. True. Like, ugh, uh, I don't know. A change of heart. Yes.
1: But heart. really, no hearts were changed because all these decisions had been made long before now. Yeah, they're, just,
0: they're just solidified. And yes. They admitted them to themselves. True. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening along with us. You know, uh, rag on Greg here.
1: <laughs> I didn't go nearly as in depth as I wanted to, but I, I think, still, I yeah. think it, it
0: came across. Though we have yeah. depths unplumbed about that, but yeah, I, I don't yeah. think we need to go on a nah. swearing tirade <laughs> or
1: things. So. No, and I, I feel like it's pretty clear where I stand. I don't need yeah. to rant.
0: And Greg is a good little boy, but he's just not very aware of other people.
1: Yeah. And I I really believe, I do want to say, I think it's really good writing on Robin Hobb's part that Greg is so believable in this moment. And it does feel like you His reactions
0: aren't just like, oh, I took a turn and now I'm throwing everything in her face. No, it's, it's striking out of being bewildered and like, in shock and like how is this not what you want
1: yes and i i think that's done really well i think it's it's clear that these are characters who are well thought out yeah and it's amazing that they are written well enough that we can have these in-depth discussions (laughs) visceral reactions to their
0: (laughs) their conversation so yeah
1: i don't know i but i i do think it is important i still like greg i still think he's a pretty okay guy obviously mostly because he is a product of his time period. And I do believe that he can change and there is room for growth in him. Like, I don't think he's somebody who, yeah. yeah, well everybody, but yeah, especially Greg, I don't feel like he's set in his ways and could in a perfect world of this, I think he could come to the realization that Althea is an autonomous woman who doesn't need no man. Yeah. Obviously, Things are not set up to be that way, but right. I, I could see him becoming that person. And so that's why I feel like I can forgive this and whatever that. And he's not real. <laughs> I feel like I have to mention that every once in a while, just so like they're not real people. So it's a lot easier to reminding be reminding yourself. Yeah. Reminding myself just. Yeah. It's easier to let some things go. I don't know. They're not real. They can't hurt me.
0: <laughs> and yet they do.
1: And yet they do.
0: Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Please let us know your thoughts. We want to hear your thoughts about these characters, uh, your theories about these characters, or mm-hmm. anything that uh, you think they're acting on. Email us at, isfitshappy at gmail.com, or you can message us on any of our social media posts or pages or DMs fits or isfitshappy on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, threads. Any place you have a social media, you can probably find us. Thanks so much
1: see you soon okay so now we're going to talk about some things you guys have said to us we are going to start with a comment from ellen on facebook that is bringing up malta's recent character development and this is for episode 180 which is where we see Malta meeting with Dello and thinking about how life is so much different than she thought it would be. She's a little hopeless now. Right. Um, She's also a lot more mature, which I think we mentioned. And Ellen brings up to us that we had said we were going to look out for Tintanglia's influence on Malta's growth. And this is a chapter where Malta has a lot of growth, a personal growth. and, Tintaglia is part of this chapter and part of Malta's story. Right, yeah. However, Ellen doesn't feel like Tintaglia is part of the driving factor of making Malta a little bit more mature in this instance. Yeah,
0: and I agree with her uh, that that is something that I wanted to revisit and yeah. to see if it was kind of a magical character development from on Malta's end. And so far, I agree with Ellen. I don't think it was. I think this was, despite the things that we talked about in that episode, I think this was a natural growth for Malta.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think Malta is growing as a person in a way that makes sense to her character, and it doesn't feel crazy or out of the realm of possibility. And it also, even though Chintaglia is there and is influencing malta in some ways it doesn't feel like this is one of the ways
0: right yeah it doesn't seem like it's a uh, a deep yearning not so much as uh i don't know bolt's influence on Vivacia, for example right now right
1: right and i will say ellen has a comment that says i feel like the dragon way to Change would be to get even more manipulative and dramatic, not to be more pragmatic and
0: economical, which True. I thought was a very funny Tintaglia <laughs> is saying at the end of that chapter like, hey, you're a queen, you know how to get males to do what you want Yeah do it
1: work it, girl. <laughs> well,
0: thank so, you, yeah. Ellen.
1: Thank you, Ellen, for bringing that up, and that it's a good point, but Tintaglia is definitely influencing Malta, but I don't necessarily think it in this moment is
0: influencing Affecting her development, yeah yes.
1: We also got a couple comments from Dagenhart, but we're going to focus specifically on the comments about how Fitz and Brashen are viewing Amber slash Fool.
0: Yeah, I made a made a quick comment about how Brashen sees Amber with the the hair pulled back and says it's not flattering. You know, the the angles are too sharp on yeah. Amber's face.
1: I think specifically Brashen uses masculine, like something like that. A, yeah, it's a mask has a the angles make her features seem a little more masculine and then
0: I contrasted that with how Fitz always describes the fool as like the height of beauty and graceful lines and things like that
1: yes and Dagenhart brings up that Fitz also comments that Fool is someone with more feminine features, a man with more feminine
0: features. So it's just kind of a shift of perspective and their expectations. Fitz is expecting like, oh, the fool is a man. So it's going to have a man's features. But then Beloved has, you know, more androgynous features in general. So, yeah, that seems much more graceful to Fitz's expectations Mm -hmm. versus Brashen is like Amber is a woman gonna have very yeah. feminine and soft lines and then oh much sharper angles than I expected so it's much more masculine
1: right no and the it face, is you know yeah and it's so interesting how that changes but it's all the same person I don't know I think it's really well done
0: also Hart just kind of adds in like everyone needs an amber in their life which is so true <laughs> a great great friend to Althea at the end of that chapter just like hmm <laughs> Are you sure that's what you think, Althea? Exactly,
1: exactly. I love her sipping the tea, literally.
0: (laughs) Begginhart also talks about, just briefly, how they also expected the fool or beloved to know how to play music. But maybe that's just because of jesters always being kind of portrayed as that court entertainer.
1: Yeah, and music and art kind of going together. Yeah. And so, yeah, it definitely, I think it definitely makes sense. And I, I mean, I'm, I feel like I've seen pictures of court jesters holding a lute or yeah, a some lute sort or, of,
0: or a harp you know, a or something, or something, yeah, some, you know, some sort of association with that. So I think that makes sense. But again, I guess Beloved does not.
1: No, no, it doesn't seem to be that Beloved has musical talent, which is fine. Can't be good at everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Deckenheart, as well.
1: Yes. And then finally, we're going to finish up with an email we got from Jess. And this is about the parallels between Brashin and Paragon. In the chapter, this is all the same chapter, um, we have Brashin really mirroring a lot of struggles that. Paragon is going through.
0: Yeah, kind of admonishing Paragon or saying things about him in front of Paragon. Mm -hmm. And Jess points out, and I think that Hobb does a really good job as well of highlighting in that chapter, those are things that Brashen could say about himself or advice that he could give himself as well as Paragon because they go through and have gone through similar things.
1: Right. Uh, Specifically, Jess brings up the fact that Brashin has a bad reputation in town, and so does Paragon, and everybody looks down on them. And they really want to, Brashin really wants to be able to prove to everyone that he and Paragon
0: aren't the reputation. They
1: aren't the reputation that they are good at what they do. And he makes a comment of when Hap is mad that Brashin is called, sorry, Clef, when (laughs) Clef is mad that Brashin is called. Paragon a piece of junk he says he's not a piece of junk he is a fine sailing machine or a fine sailing vessel and he'll come to realize that everyone will and it kind of feels like he's talking about himself too like he's struggling throughout this chapter with the withdrawal symptoms and really trying to continue his life through pushing through what he's going through and having That anger and that he is even in that position is kind of driving this whole situation because he also has to take care of Paragon.
0: Just says, perhaps this is also contributing to his bad mood this chapter. He's essentially having to work through his own issues while guiding Paragon through his. Definitely. Do you think that Brashin recognizes these things in himself when he's saying these? Or do you think it's totally oblivious and just kind of...
1: I think partially he does. I think so too. I think he recognizes that some of this is coming from a projection. He's projecting his stuff onto Paragon.
0: That's how I read it as well, that he's self-aware saying this. Mm -hmm. But it's not in a... He's still focused on Paragon when he's saying it.
1: I think, yeah, it... I think that he's not doing this as like a underhanded way or like a out of the way way to get himself to be better. He truly does believe that he's just working on Paragon. But I do think he recognizes that some of the issues he's having, he is projecting on Paragon. Right. And justifying that it's okay to be hard on Paragon because that's how he has to be with himself. So... Yes and no. I think he could do a little bit more introspection about the whole thing.
0: But what <laughs> no time right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Jess, for bringing that up so that we could talk about it. And thank you, everybody who writes in. It's so good to hear from you guys. It's so fun to see you. And when people write in multiple times, it's it feels like you guys are part of the family. <laughs> we recognize your names. It's so fun to see a lo- you guys, week to week. And it's fun whenever a new person emails too or mm-hmm. messages. It's like, oh, hey, I haven't seen this name before. So
0: <laughs> thank you, everybody who has written in, and see you in the new year.
1: Yeah. Happy New Year and happy holidays.